You are listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church in Rainbow City, Alabama. More information about our church can be found online at www.12th.co. So as we get going today, I hope you'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We are continuing in our series, Picture Perfect. Uh, We are working out our last of the four installments on this. And so um, I just ask for you to take a moment with me as I pray. And I want you to, if the Lord is moving in your heart with this prayer, I want you to echo that prayer to yourself, to the Lord. And at the end, I want you to give a hearty amen if it is your prayer. So this is my prayer this morning. It's the prayer I often pray almost every week as I get up to preach before I come up here. And so let me, let me pray and you pray with me. Father, today I ask that you would forgive us for our sins. For those that we remember and confess to you, for those that we do not recall right now, Lord, I ask that you would forgive us she would draw our hearts to you, that you would help us by giving us a desire for you. Lord, fill us with the love that you have for your son this morning. Lord, this morning as we worship you, I ask that you would fill us, give us the love. When you see your son, you love him in ways we cannot fathom. You love him in ways that would destroy us if it were not for your supernatural ability to hold us together and sustain us. So Lord, fill us with love for your son the way you love him. Lord, this morning, give us love for our faith family. This expression of the local church, your son's bride. Let us love one another, even in our differences, even in our disagreements and misunderstandings that occur at times with those that we know and love. I pray this morning you would give us a love for one another that would resemble and example the love of Christ. And I pray this morning that you would break our hearts for the lost. The love that you had for every single one of us before the foundation of the earth, that you would Love us so much that you would send us your son, Jesus. Lord, would you break our hearts for the lost? Would you give us opportunities to be around those that don't know you? Would you, would you fill us with your spirit and with your words so that when we're around anyone that you would roll off our lips, that if, we, if we're around anyone, we just bleed at Jesus everywhere we go because we are walking with you. May your presence the weight of your glory be upon us this morning in a way that changes us through your word, by your spirit, and for your glory. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been walking through this series called Picture Perfect for four weeks now. And the whole idea, the premise of the series, if you're late to the game here, is that Most of the time, we are presenting ourselves to others as if we've got it down pat. Nobody wants to show up somewhere and look like you're out of place, you're disheveled, you don't have things together. That's where you give the talk to the kids right before you walk in, you know what I mean? Don't embarrass me when we go in here. You know, whatever it is you do when you you present to people at your workplace about how you're doing, about how things are going, that you're stronger than you really are, that things are going better than they really are. And what we're trying to press into these last three weeks and this week is the fact that to be honest with everyone around us, to be honest with one another, that the true nature of living in Christ is to recognize that our weakness is the way for God's glory to be manifested wherever we go, whomever we're around. So instead of trying to make ourselves picture perfect, 
we should be more honest and real and confessional about who we are, where we are, our struggles, so that if there's any boasting that goes on, the boasting is in the Lord. So that His name is lifted high. And we've looked and seen how Jesus has become the wisdom of God for us. We've seen how Jesus has, has been our righteousness, as Stephen preached a couple weeks ago. And we've looked and seen in the scriptures how Jesus is our sanctification last week. And today we hit one that, if you're not careful, you could just go ahead and imagine that you've got it down. You don't need to really pay attention today. It'll be a good time for you to worship, but it's not really something you need. This is probably for those that don't know him yet. But I'm here to tell you, this one is probably the sneakiest of all of them that filter in and create this kind of self-righteous reliance that is the antithesis of the gospel. The fact that Jesus is our redemption. Look with me just at verse 30 and see these put together. And because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and here we are this week, redemption. Now, I like to think of myself as an expositional preacher, and we're going to exposit the scriptures. We're going to do it from a lot of places. It's going to be more of a biblical theological sermon today. We're going to look at this idea of redemption all throughout scripture, specifically more so in the New Testament because we're referring to Christ and the fulfillment of the need for our redemption in him. And all of us in this room would, I'm sure, admit those who are churchgoers, who are professors in Jesus, that we have been redeemed and we've been set free by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. But sadly, I think we, we don't often live in this freedom. We find ways, oftentimes subconsciously, to subvert the free grace of the gospel of Jesus by attempting to earn our salvation even after we've been saved. Instead of running to Jesus... We try to implement measures to stop sinning in and of our own selves, by our own power. We attempt to atone for our sins by carrying the burden of guilt on our shoulders, forgetting that Jesus has already carried that burden to the the cross at Calvary for us. Even more subversive, even more tricky, I think, are our efforts to earn our way into God's grace by serving God or serving people so that we feel as though we've paid our debt and redeemed ourselves. We wouldn't say it that way. We would just kind of feel like we could rest in the fact that we've done our thing that day. We've accomplished the thing we need to do to make God pleased with us that week. But I'm here today to remind us all that no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, we will never be able to redeem ourselves. Jesus and Jesus alone is our redemption. Look, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. Let's put it in context, right? For consider your calling, brothers. He's talking to the church. He's talking to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking to us even now. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. That's me. Not many were powerful. That's us. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world. Let's own that. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Do you see what's happening here? 
you put this in context and you understand this, we've been talking about it for, this is the fourth week now, but I think it's so easy to overlook. Let's put this in perspective, right? God chose every one of us for a great purpose, and that is to make sure that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So he chose you because you're weak. He chose me because I'm foolish. He chose us because we're low and despised in the world, that we are nothing in the eyes of the world, so that he could bring to nothing the, the, the things and people that are seen as everything and as greatness in the world, so that no human being can boast in the presence of God. You see, he's after his glory being made much of. He's after his name being made great. And you might think, that's kind of selfish. Why don't I want to serve a God like that? But Because here's why. He wants to give the best to what deserves the best. And that's what we all should want to do is want to make much of, sing about, talk about the most wonderful of the most wonderful. And he is that most wonderful. And so his name alone deserves the glory. And he's the one that chose us, it says. But God chose what is weak. God chose what is low and despised. God chose what is foolish. So that he would get the glory. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Not because you had enough in you. Not because you strived harder than others. Not because you wised up before someone else did. Because of him, because of him, You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, the wisdom we don't have, right? Righteousness, the righteousness we don't have. And sanctification, the sanctification we learned last week that we don't have in ourselves. That He empowers, He enables, that He provides, that He is. And redemption. So that, ultimate purpose summed up here, the only command in this whole text. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts like we just sang about, boast in the Lord. To understand this idea of redemption, I want to make sure we're clear on our definition. So let me give you a definition for redemption today. Biblically speaking, when we use the word redemption, it means basically to make free, to make someone free from enslavement by payment of a ransom. It means to make someone free from their enslavement by payment of a ransom. I had a hard time understanding this word redemption when I was growing up. I don't know if you guys, it's, you hear regeneration, you hear redemption, you hear propitiation, you hear all these big words, you know, and I'm not sure what those things mean. And I heard a guy one time explain it, and it helped me. It's not really a great illustration, but I'm going to help you maybe if you struggle with some of these words. I used to go to the arcade a lot back when it was in the mall. You may remember that. Okay, yeah. And I used to like to go to arcades and play skee-ball. I don't know what you called it, but we'd roll the ball up, try to get it in the holes and get the, get the most points. Now, if you did really well, what did you get to come out of that machine? Tickets. You get coupons, tickets. Okay, and so this guy explained it. But to understand redemption, is you take those tickets and you go and you, and you get something from the, the little place where they have all the toys and the stuffed animals, and none of them are worth the money you just spent in that machine but you go and do that. But to put it biblically, we had to understand it more like this. I would work really hard and do all that needed to be done so that that poor little stuffed animal on the shelf that couldn't redeem itself would get redeemed by me going over there and paying the price for my hard work to take that poor enslaved animal off the shelf and take it home with me, right? Now he was free in my home to enjoy the wrath of Thomas, right? Redemption is the idea 
of someone setting someone free by paying a price for them. Mark 10.45, Jesus tells us what that looks like for us. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is our ransom. He is our redemption. He is the payment to set us free. So the real question then is if Jesus is our redemption, this is the question we're going to unpack the rest of our time together. If Jesus is our redemption, what has he redeemed us from? What has he freed us from? So we're going to unpack that with four answers today. So the first of these answers that I want to give you, and the fact of what does that mean that he's our redemption, is that Jesus, don't, don't cut out on me now, it's going to get really good here in a second. Are you ready? Because I know you've heard about redemption, you've heard about this, you're thinking, this is for all those new folks. This is for those who don't know the gospel. No, 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 this is for all of us. I'm especially talking to you that have been in church a long time. I'm talking to us who think we've got it down. Jesus has freed us, first of all, from our enslavement to sin and to Satan. To sin and to Satan. Most people here don't like to hear that. People in general don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I don't like to think I'm enslaved to anything, especially not to the enemy. But Jesus has redeemed us and freed us from our enslavement to sin and Satan if we are in Christ. That's what he's talking to here in verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ. He's talking about believers here. If you are in Christ, Jesus has freed you from your enslavement to sin and to Satan. John 8, Jesus says in verse 34, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's good news. That's good news for all of us today, not just for the new Although it's good for you if it's your first time hearing it today, but it's also good for all of us. Apart from Christ, you see, we were enemies of God aligned with the enemy, with Satan. But Jesus has come to set us free from that kingdom of darkness. Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption. There it is again. The forgiveness of our sins, you see. He's come to forgive us of our sins. The way that works is that he redeems us by paying the price for our sins that we cannot pay, that we can never pay. So he paid the price for us, becoming our ransom. Becoming our ransom. He bought our freedom from sin. Ephesians 1.7 says it like this. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of of his grace, not according to how good we look, not according to how well we act, not according to how well we do, not according to how much we know, according to the riches of his grace. By his blood, we have redemption in him. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Here's how by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. In other words, by canceling the record of your debt of sin, in other words, by canceling the debt you have that you owe God because you have failed Him over and over and over again, that's been canceled out, the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. The legal demand is that you be condemned forever for your sin, that you fall under the wrath of God for all eternity for your sin. It says, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See, 
God made the sinless, perfect Jesus become sin on the cross, your sin and my sin, so that we could be redeemed and purchased out of our sin by his blood sacrifice for us. He became our ransom so that we could be brought into the family of God, so that we could be declared righteous when he alone is righteous, that he was declared sinful when we are the sinful ones, and he is not. This is what Martin Luther called the great exchange, that God declares upon us righteousness that is Jesus's, and that he takes our sin and puts it upon the shoulders of Jesus on the cross so that he dies for our sins and we are saved from our sins and we are declared right with God, even though by our own standards we are not. But when he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Second Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me put it like this. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I get it, but what does this have to do with me and my sin? I believe in that redemption from Jesus. Listen to it this way. The epitome of our sin, the epitome of our sin is our attempt to live life apart from full dependence on God and refusing to give God all the glory that he deserves, and he deserves it all. So that means that if we live throughout the day without thinking about God, and giving Him glory for all the goodness, for all the struggle even, for all the things He leads us through. If we don't depend on Him throughout the day in those moments, in all the moments of our lives, we are therefore implicitly robbing Him from His glory that He deserves. That's the epitome of our sin. This sin of self-redemption. Living as though we're okay. Not recognizing we need Him every day just as much as the first time we met Him. So let it not be, brothers and sisters. Let today be the day of repentance for us in this way of self-reliance, to become totally dependent on Him in every moment, to give Him glory for every single thing. Lord, these frosted flakes are awesome. Thank you, Lord, for providing my breakfast this morning. I mean, it sounds silly, but it's not. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a job. Thank you, Lord, for though it's hard and I hate it sometimes, you might say, Lord, I even though it's difficult, even though it's, it's heart-wrenching and what I have to do, thank you, Lord, for giving me something to serve others and to show your grace. Thank you for providing food for the table for me. Thank you for giving me money to give to others. Thank you for giving me a desire to love my family, even when sometimes I don't feel like it. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a place to run when I don't feel like doing that so that you can bring me back where I need to be. Thank you, Lord, for all these things as we run, as we get hit. And you will fall away. You will fall down on that. You will forget to do it. And the Holy Spirit will nudge you back with whispers, sometimes with screams, to get your attention. And thank you, Lord, for doing that, right? You're glorious. You're good. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, submit instead to Jesus. Our Redeemer, run not back to your sin, not back to the enemy, but run to Jesus. Run headlong to your Savior. Let every day be marked by our trust in Jesus as our Redeemer. He is our redemption. Not only does He free us from our enslavement to sin and to the enemy, but He frees us from the wrath that we deserve. We've hinted at it already, but let's take a few moments because it deserves looking at. Some don't like to talk about the wrath of God. I don't say I like it but it helps me to recognize how much I've been saved from. It's helped me, it helps me to recognize how 
I do not deserve it. And the more I look into the wrath of God and how much I deserve that wrath for being a sinner, the more glory I want to give him and the more gratitude I have in my heart for him sending us Jesus and the more it drives my heart to love him because he first loved me. We are by nature, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, we are by nature children of wrath. That means that we are born into sin, that we all have a sinful nature, and we are by nature children of wrath before the Holy Spirit awakens us and tunes our ears to the gospel. See, many believe that Jesus paid the price for our sin, and in so doing that he paid his ransom to Satan to win us back furthest thing from the truth. In fact, I might even say that's leaning into blasphemy. This is why. Satan has no power over us. Martin Luther, he, he likes to draw this great illustration where he basically says, we're just donkeys. You know much about donkeys. He's not saying a lot. And Satan's riding us along, kind of steering us down the road. We're just guided because we're dead spiritually. And God comes along and knocks him off and takes control. You're enslaved to something. You're either enslaved to sin or you're enslaved to righteousness. You're enslaved to the enemy or you're enslaved to the king. And you're going to be enslaved to something. You're going to be enslaved to the one who wants to destroy you and kill you. Or you're going to be enslaved to the one who loves you so much he gave his only son to bring you into his family. We are enslaved to him. And we need saving, not from Satan, but we need saving because of our sinfulness from God's wrath, which is focused upon us until we are redeemed. That's what Jesus saved us from on the cross. He took our punishment, not Satan beating him down, but God himself pouring out all his wrath that we deserve onto his only son. It's hard to understand. There's a guy by the name of Wayne Grudem who wrote a systematic theology book that you might want to have as a reference book. And in that book, he talks about this. He says it real simple. He said, though we were in bondage to sin and to Satan, there was no ransom paid either to sin or to Satan himself, for they do not have power to demand such payment. Nor was Satan the one whose holiness was offended by sin and who required a penalty to be paid for sin. You see, our sin is so great an offense to the glory of God that we deserve the wrath of God to be poured out on us for all eternity. We oftentimes get focused on the physical death of Jesus on the cross, which was excruciating. That's where the word cross comes from in the English, right? That crucifix excruciating. It comes from the idea of crucifixion. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that his physical death was worse than any other physical death, although we know it was horrible and one of the worst torture devices ever made. What we see in Jesus is in the garden praying, asking his father to remove the cup. It wasn't about just his physical death. It's about the cup of God's wrath being poured out on him. All of the wrath that we should endure for all eternity poured out on him all at once like a waterfall a million miles wide, a million miles tall, all be poured out on one point, Jesus. It should be poured on us for all eternity. Romans 5 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. That means declared right with God by his blood, not because our blood has been spilt, for because of his blood. Now that we've been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
we've not been saved from Satan, although that's a part of it, I guess. We've been saved from the wrath of God that we deserve for failing and messing up. You see how great God's love is for us? God created us to image Him. He created us to reflect His goodness and His glory in all we do, all we say, all we think, all we, all we act. Everything should be reflecting Him and all the, the perfections of Him. But even while we were His enemies, God chose to love us and forgive us, even though His love for us would cost Him the life of His one and the glorious God we serve. What a loving God. I... I could not sacrifice one of my children for all of you. He could. He did. Not because we were good, not because we deserved it, but because he loved us anyway. If we're going to boast in anything, let the one who boasts boast. One, let it be in Jesus Christ our redemption. Romans 8, 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, he condemned sin in his wrathful judgment on the son in Jesus's flesh so that he could save us because we cannot do what our selves could not do, our flesh could not accomplish. Romans 3.23 says it like this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means we've fallen short of how we're created to image Him and are justified. We all are justified, if you're in Christ, by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. We'll come back to that. To be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. In other words, He hadn't punished us for them. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You see, the problem of the Bible is the fact that God forgives sinners. We understand that? That's the real problem in the Bible that has to be solved. The problem is that God forgives us. Because if he is a just God and he forgives sinners who don't deserve it, then he now becomes unjust. You see? There has to be a fix. If he's going to save sinners and make them justified, there has to be a reason that keeps him just. He cannot go against his character. That's what this is talking about here. So the only way that God could remain just and justify sinners was to provide a substitute sacrifice worthy of his glory, a sacrifice that would satisfy all the wrath of God that is due us, that we deserve. So therefore, it says here, he brought Jesus forward as our propitiation. That's the $10, $15 word of the day. We're going to unpack it. Propitiation is this. It's a sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end. In other words, it satisfies God's wrath. And in so doing, it changes God's wrath toward us into favor. I'm going to say it again. Propitiation is... A sacrifice that bears God's wrath to the end, fully satisfying God's wrath, and in so doing, changes God's wrath toward us into favor. So Jesus became our propitiation, the satisfier of God's wrath, the one who drank down all of God's wrath by substituting himself in our place on the cross to drink down all of God's wrath for us that we might be ushered into the kingdom of God as full brothers and sisters of our Savior. That is a glorious king. That is the only definition of true redeemer. That 
is the one who deserves all the glory. So let the one who boasts, boast in him. Amen? He alone deserves that. We oftentimes think of justification and we think of redemption and we think of regeneration, all those things. We just, go, we just go back to Jesus in the, when he died on the cross. Now, you were declared right with God when you came to faith, right? Jesus did the work on the cross. Redemption is one of those words, though, that surprisingly is kind of like sanctification. It doesn't just happen at the moment that you're saved. It actually continues on and then goes into the future. Okay, so let me say what I mean by that. This would be the third of the points about how we are redeemed or what we're redeemed from. Jesus is freeing us, even now, from our futile way of life. I'm going to restate that. Jesus is freeing us, even right now, from our futile, in other words, our useless, our empty, our powerless way of life. Hang with me. Let me break that open for us. 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. In other words, you've been ransomed from the empty, useless, powerless ways of life that you inherited on this earth by the precious blood of Jesus. So let me put it to you like this, and hang with me. You're not going to like the statement at first. Before Jesus saved us, no matter how great we thought our lives were, for all practical purposes, when in comparison to the glory of God and what we were created for, when you compare it to that, our lives were useless, empty, and powerless. We were not doing what we were created to do. We do not have the power to overcome it. And we have emptiness because we are dead spiritually. Do you see? No matter how you shake it, that's what pans out when you put it in the grand scheme of the overarching meta-narrative of Scripture, which is all about God and His glory and about those whom He created that are supposed to be imaging that glory. So if we're created to image the glory of God in our bodies, minds, actions, and our words, then we have failed more times than we can count. And our lives in light of this mandate have been useless, empty, and powerless. That's the way I would have to state it. Nobody likes that, but that's just the truth. But praise God, our lives are futile no longer if we are in Christ Jesus. We've been given new lives with great purpose. That purpose is to make much of the one who made much of us by giving us Jesus. To image Jesus. That's what our lives are made for. To make much of him wherever we go. Our lives are no longer empty. For now we abide in Christ and Christ abides in us. You see, the the one who is worthy, the one who deserves the glory lives in you. You have been filled with the glory of Christ. You have been filled with the glory of God in the person of Jesus by the powerful Holy Spirit. You now have a life that is filled with purpose, a life that is filled with glory. And you've also been filled with the Holy Spirit. So now you have the Holy Spirit living in you, and the Holy Spirit who can work in and through us to do powerful things because He is the same one. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they spoke and things happened, right? The Holy Spirit enables and empowers God's work to be done in you, in me crazy things. The same God who spoke in mountains rose up out of the sea. The same God who spoke and the sun came into being out of nothing is the same God who lives within you and who can bring the dead to life through a word of you speaking about Jesus. That is power. 
beyond anything this world can do. Nobody else can bring the dead to life. They might can resuscitate someone, but nobody can regenerate anybody. This is God's work in us. We have purpose. We have power. We have glory filling us now. Our lives have greatness written all over them because we have a great God who's given us the greatest Savior. Let Him be made much of. Not in our ability, in His glorious grace, He's become our redemption. Now we know power. Now we know purpose. Now we know fulfillment. In Christ Jesus, our redemption. So let the one who boasts, boast in Him. And lastly, when Jesus returns, see, redemption is the moment of salvation, redemption every day of our lives as He continues to take us out of these futile ways. And then at His return, He brings it to completion. This is good. We taste it now. We experience it now, but in part, not in whole. Yes, we have been saved wholly, but we are being saved and we will be saved at the at the Jesus' return, at his glorious arrival. Romans 8, 23, And not only the creation yearns and groans, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see? At his arrival, the full redemption of our bodies will be in effect. There'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death, no more suffering. All our cares, all our concerns, all our worries will be wiped away in his final redemption at his arrival. That is good news. Ephesians 4.30 leads us to this. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. Let us not be those who grieve the God who gave us his Son. Let us not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption that is to come. Let us not grieve Him with our sin. Let us not run back to the slop from which we've been saved. Let us not run back to the enemy who wants to destroy us and let Him be leading us along the way. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us run to the Savior who loved us so much He gave us everything, including every last drop of His blood, the price for our sins, which He has. And if He has become our redemption on the cross, which He has, And let us not grieve the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us by turning back to those ways. Instead, let us encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day drawing near. All the more. Let us fix our eyes. Let us fix our hearts. Let us fix our lives upon Jesus. For He is our Redeemer. He's become our redemption. Every day. Every day until he returns and every day after. He paid the price for our sins on the cross. He endured the wrath we deserve in our place on the cross as our substitute sacrifice. Jesus is our redemption. And look, right now we have the ability to stare into his face. And everywhere we go, we bring others into looking at his glory. But it won't happen if our eyes aren't set on him. If we're looking to self for our own redemption, if we're looking to ourself for our own sanctification, if we're looking to self for our own righteousness, if we're looking to self for our own wisdom. That's the problem, right? Picture perfect. That's the idea. We think we've got it down. We think we know how to do it. Instead, let's look to the one who's all wise. Let's look to the one who is all good. Let's look to the one who is already perfect. 
Let's look to the one who doesn't need redeeming because he's the redeemer. And as we set our eyes on him, as we go to him to know what's wise, as we go to him to find our sanctification, as we go to him to find the righteousness we need, that we've been clothed in his righteousness already, as we set our eyes on him, then when we're around others, family, friends, co-workers, or even just alone, we will give all glory due him back to him. When we boast, we'll boast in the Lord. This is our calling. This is our purpose. If we just do that thing, Everything else would fall in line. It's hard to sin against your family, your your kids, your wife, when your eyes are focused on Jesus. It's hard to not share Jesus with your coworkers when your eyes are fixed on Jesus. It's hard to, to not do the right thing in a hard situation when your eyes are on Jesus. So let us turn our eyes back to the Lord today. And let us make sure that we boast not in self ever. We find nothing in self to boast of. We boast in our Redeemer. We boast in our sanctification. We boast in our wisdom. We boast in our righteousness, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He and He alone, to the glory of the Father, by the power of the Spirit. Let us give Him the glory He is due. Father, we need You this morning. We need You every moment of every day. I need You now. Father, please help us now to find our eyes back on you. Lord, every moment that we are distracted, would you whisper in our ears by your Spirit to turn our eyes back to you? And if we do not hear, would you do whatever it takes? Yes, I know that's a huge statement. God, I want whatever it takes to turn our eyes back to you. We know, we know that we will get distracted. We know that we will turn our eyes away. So we ask you, Lord, to bring that redemption back to us, remove us from the futile ways, and bring us back to grace and glory in your son, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you work in our hearts. I know there's people here today, Lord, that are hurting, that are sorrowful, that have hate for self. I know there are people here today, Lord, that are confused and don't know what to do even tomorrow. Today they can find hope in you. Lord, I pray that you would become their redemption today. Break into their hearts. Give them the grace and mercy of your good son that they need so that you might be made much of in this place and beyond. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon audio from 12th Street Baptist Church. Feel free to share this with anyone you meet, and we pray that this sermon helped you to be more like Jesus, as 12th Street seeks to be a place where we can find forgiveness for the past and hope for the future.